So this, we're going to bring Logan up here today. Logan was one year old yesterday. <laughs> yeah. He's one of the youngest. I think Mike is a little bit younger, and the new uh, Judah Walker is a little bit younger than that. But I was been thinking about Father's Day, and um, I'm probably the senior here, the senior father and grandfather. Dean, Dean says yes, <laughs> which means I'm older than him. And Logan here is one of the youngest. And how do we get from from my age where I've, thank you, accrued a, a little bit of wisdom, a, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of understanding to survive in life, a little bit of maturity to a little guy like this who's just beginning, who a year ago was totally, completely dependent on his mom and dad. It's a process and it takes a, it takes a long time. And today we're gonna to talk a little bit about a hero, hero in the Bible uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Father's Day, and I'm um, going to indulge you in just a little bit of history so it all kind of fits together, hopefully. So thank you, Logan, very much. I'm sorry we lost your shoes, but your mom will take care of that. But mainly because I have the, the platform here, I, I wanted to, to share something about the men of this church. First of all, we don't have flowers for you. We don't have, we do have some sweets back there. We don't have muffins, and we don't have fancy tablecloths, although Mike Dumstorff said he was looking for some camouflage tablecloths, but couldn't find any. <laughs> we're, we're a different breed, and, and, um, but I'm so proud of the men of our church, and I've, I've sketched down just a few things. If I work for Hallmark, I, I maybe come up with a card, but instead, I, I, from a perspective of a person who's maybe seen a little more church life than a lot of you, like to just share a few thoughts uh, as I see it. First of all, I'm so proud of the men of our church. I'm so proud that they come to worship. There's a lot of churches, a lot of people that don't do that. And statistically, if the men come to church, the wives and the rest of the family usually follow. You're here. I encourage that. How great is that? Where dad goes, is where the family goes. You're heroes to many. I've seen a lot of growth in our particular church, serious about Christ and about your relationship with him and with one another. Did you know that in our church there's men who are getting together for accountability? There are men who are getting together on Thursday mornings for breakfast to share with one another. There are two groups of men who are getting together to study manhood and to share their life story with one another and encourage one another. Because of the right heart, a lot of you have stepped up. There's men who got together for the Schweitzer Fest, for trailer pulling, for the band, for setup, and countless other things. Men are allowing God to allow themselves to turn away from the past and look towards Him. Becoming effective fathers, becoming effective husbands, being more effective in our community, and I, and I applaud you for that. We haven't arrived. Nobody said that, but be encouraged today that you continue um, of minds that seeking Christ and hearts that are changed to follow him. Happy Father's Day. We appreciate you and love you so much. 
So there I got a, a bit of a commercial in there. I want to just, re we've been studying uh, Joshua for, what, several months? Some of you said, yeah, that's been so good. Some of you are saying, eh, a couple more weeks and I've maybe had enough. But I, I want to just share a little bit before I talk about uh, one of the heroes in the Bible, and that's where we're at with a nation. And uh, you don't need to, to, to look it up, but God promised Abraham a nation way back when. And he lollygagged around. He took a lot of time. He lied about his, his wife a couple of times. But he began to uh, claim the land that um, God had given him from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates. God promised it to him. Isaac was in, into his hundreds when, and uh, his wife was well when had children. A child, I should say. He had a child uh, through his maidservant, Ishmael, who some believe the Islamic Muslim people came from. And he had Isaac, who, um, who grew up and became a leader. He had two sons. You probably remember Jacob and Esau, the twins, how they fought over each other about the birthright and so on. Um, they had their troubles as well. Jacob, who became Israel, whether we get the name, had how many sons? Twelve. They became the people group of Israel, the promised land. The twelve tribes, the twelve people group. Joseph, we've seen dramas, plays, and story about Joseph, who was sold into slavery, went to Egypt, became... Uh, Second in command to Pharaoh, prospered. His, his brothers had called him a dreamer. And uh, the coat of many colors ended up coming to him. And God blessed them. Pharaoh gave them uh, a land, one of the plushest lands in Egypt, in order to, uh, to prosper, to shepherd, uh, which was their livelihood at the most part. It was a very fertile area. And... The people group multiplied. They were very plentiful. Well, things changed. The good Pharaoh, um, who had blessed Joseph, the kings afterwards, not so much. And they became into bondage. Moses came on the scene, and we're pretty much up to date. Across the Red Sea, the Egyptian army died, and now they're poised to go into the Promised Land, and we've been talking about the rain, about the, the promise uh, by all the different wars taking, um, taking over the land that was promised to them. Today I'm going to emphasize mostly to, uh, to men. Uh, it's Father's Day, we, we get our time in, a, in the barrel, so to speak. Um, specifically, I'm going to be talking about one of the Old Testament heroes. I really didn't know that that was going to happen. 
But um, first of all, as, as fathers, I ha something happened today, and, and how do we become good fathers? And, it, and it's a long process, and we're going to be looking at, um, as I said, one of the heroes. And um, Jeff Lay and I got together for, for coffee one morning, and um, it illustrated what, what fatherhood is like. Oh, yeah, because I said so is not necessarily always a father's attribute, but Jeff was telling me that uh, they're, they're building a new house just on the outskirts of the highland here, and he was telling him that K.O. was with him in a, a skid loader. His dad bought a skid loader, which is kind of a tractor type of uh, vehicle, and K.O. was sitting on his lap, and as they were working, Jeff put his hands on the throttle, throttles, the controls, and um, K.O. put his hands on top. And wherever they go, K.O. is mimicking what his dad's doing. And Jeff said, he turned and looked up at me, and I could tell that, Dad, you're my hero. I'm proud. Wherever you lead me, my hands are on top of you. I'm going to go. And that's what it takes to be a good father, to be a leader. It doesn't always involve uh, details. It doesn't always involve Bible study. But... Our kids mimic us, and so we want to be uh, good fathers. So, Jeff, thanks for letting me share that. Who made it to the promised land? Here's a trivia question. Uh, take a wild guess. Anybody? Say again. Joshua made it, and Caleb. Caleb is going to be our hero. And I'm going to ask you to do something peculiar here. Let's just pretend we're the tribe, tribes of Israel. If you're a teenager, stand up. Teenager or younger, stand up. All right, thank you. You can sit down. These are the people that made it to the promised land. Everybody else died except for Caleb and Joshua. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more. It, it, it's nice to be a hero. Uh, I get disappointed. Linda gets tired of me talking about some of the things on, on TV, particularly uh, our defacing of, of men. We're not heroes. The Homer Simpson type. A lot of times men are... Uh, expressed of, uh, you know, the tall socks and the sandals, you know, that mindset. Uh, it seems to me the men are not as respected as they used to be. And so it's, uh, it's difficult. Like we see them arguing over a car, and the men oftentimes takes this, the back seat, so to speak. But we all want, want a hero. Um, we came off of uh, vacation just last week with the Burns, and... We visited um, a family who went to their wedding. Uh, some of the kids we were involved with in, in the youth group. And we attended Duke's church, and afterwards, of course, we had to get something to eat. Mom and Dad have to pay for the, for the meal, of course. And so we went to Fazoli's. That's not a commercial. And a guy comes up to me and says, so you're the superhero. What? He says, yeah. Duke, your son, says you're a superhero. Well, I know, my family knows, 
you know, he knows, and that church knows that I'm not a superhero. But you know what? It's kind of nice to hear something like that. It was on Facebook today. So as men, we want to be heroes. We want to do the right thing. And it's not always easy, particularly when it gets noisy when it rains. So turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. I, I think it might be on page 150-something in your scripture. Joshua 14, verse 6. And I'm going to read, you know, I got to thinking, I use the ESV version of the Bible, and I think that's the NIV, so it's going to be pretty close, but if you could follow with me, beginning of verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua, Judah was one of the tribes, at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzonite, said to him, This is what Caleb says. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Banaria, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh uh, Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word again that was, was in my heart. But my brothers went up with me and made the hearts of the people melt. I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore to me on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord. That's twice, but we find it a number of times where he wholly followed the Lord. We're talking about Caleb here. And now in verse 10 it says, And now... Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am at this age 85 years old. This is not a spring chicken. He's got a lot of years on me. He remembers the promise. If you want to look it up, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 1. That Moses said, This is your land if you want it. And he's reminding Joshua, it's yours. Verse 10, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years. Excuse me. Uh, And now behold, in this day, I'm 85 years old. Verse 11, I'm still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is my strength was then. For war and for going and coming. I don't know when he was taken. You know, a lot of the commercials when I watch the six o'clock news talks about these vitamin packs and take this and it'll boost your hormones or whatever and become strong. But he's 85 and he says, I'm still as strong as I was 40. I still have, I take a nap every day. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure where he gets his strength, but. Uh, But we'll look at his life and maybe we'll be able to determine. So he says, now give me the hill country which the Lord spoke. Now, we know where this was. The hill country was not an easy 
portion to take. It was a great fortification by being up on a hill. So he's not asking for the easy part of the land like the allocations that, uh, that uh, Pastor Bill talked about last week. He's talking about the hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that on that day, Anakin was there. Now, Anakin was known, his sons, as giants through the Old Testament in Genesis and in now. And a lot of these giants were destroyed by Caleb, but some of them escaped and they became Goliath and other giants that David fought. So he not only wanted the hill country, he says, I'll take the country with the, with the giants. And it says in the next part of there, it says, it was heavily fortified, it was great cities. But he says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron, which is the new name for the area, to Caleb. Therefore, Hebron became an inheritance. You've probably heard of Hebron. It's been on the news. It's still a city. It's still a stronghold. If you've been following the news, it's on the West Bank where uh, Hezbollah has just killed a couple people. It's about 80% uh, Islam right now and 20% Jewish. 1967, Israel captured that whole area and annihilated it and became theirs. And then they gave it back during the peace accord of 76 or something. It's believed it's where Abraham is buried, where Sarah is buried, and perhaps even Isaac and Ishmael. The, the Muslim people, they want to preserve it. It's 80% Muslim, and the Is, Israel people, they want to preserve it because they both have bones buried there. So it's still in the news. It hasn't, hasn't changed just a whole lot. But I'd like to examine what made Caleb strong. How is it that 85 he was able to, uh, to, to take this on, to conquer these cities, to run, out the, run the giants out? In the first 40 years, we don't specifically know anything about him. There's nowhere in the Bible that says Caleb's first 40 years. But as we look at the people of Israel, which he was a part of, we can maybe get a, uh, a glimpse. And if you would indulge me and turn back to Exodus. It's Genesis and Exodus. We're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 1 and then a couple of verses in chapter 5. Chapter 1, it, it tells what was going on with the Israeli people. Moses, as you know, was, was a Hebrew who was raised by an Egyptian princess, was it? I can't remember, Pharaoh's wife, I believe. I believe. And at 40, he killed an Egyptian and he fled to the desert for 40 years. He was 80 years old and he comes back to talk to Pharaoh about letting the people go. 
About this time is when Caleb was born. And this is what it was like, beginning at verse 2. Joseph died and his brothers and all the generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So the the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with a heavy burden. They built for, for Pharaoh stone cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and hard in service, in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all the work, they ruthlessly made them slaves. It's very likely that the first 40 years of Caleb's life was born into slavery. No freedoms, no money, no, uh, no freedom to do whatever he wanted. He was under the bondage of hard task. It doesn't say what his life was like, but I can imagine him getting up at 4 o'clock, maybe feeding his sheep or working in the garden so they'd have some food, and, and working for Pharaoh, perhaps making bricks from 6 in the morning till maybe 8 o'clock at night. And if we've ever seen some of the movies, maybe there was a taskmaster that was whipping them. I don't know. He must have wondered, Yahweh, what have you got in store for me? I can't even relate to um, not having freedom like that. But I would suggest that probably all of us are slaves or have been from time to time with some sort of bondage, maybe a relationship. Uh, maybe an addiction. Maybe you've got a boss that you can't hardly stand and you can't get out. Uh, maybe life seems like it's creeping in on you. We can't imagine what slavery is like, but we can't imagine a little bit about bondage. It's just that helpless feeling that we have no will of our own. Just a sideline of a story. We, were, we just left on vacation and we... Um, we headed towards Florida and we made it to Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, we couldn't find a motel. We went to about nine different places. And, and we pull into, uh, finally pull into one and I get a text once again from my friend Jeff Lay and says, storm headed your way, better take cover. Montgomery, Alabama? And then I realized that he's talking about our home. So I turned on KMOX, 550 miles away, and picked up a radio station, and in about 10 seconds it said, there's a funnel cloud likely to be a tornado above Alhambra, Illinois. Please, Lord. <laughs> I felt helpless for 24 hours. We'd, the Brandons were gone, the Burns were gone, the whole compound was vacant except for Denise Schwartz. <laughs> She's taking care of all three houses for us. 
she's hunkered down in the basement, we found out, texting us. And uh, the power goes off on all three houses. And here we are feeling for 24 hours completely helpless. We couldn't do anything. We didn't know whether to turn around, to go back. We didn't know if the windows were busted up, if the house was ruined, if Denise was hurt. Just felt helpless. Turned out Denise was a trooper. We got the power back on through uh, Mike Sepienza who called, pulled some strings. But I've never had been a slave, I've never been a bondage, but I have felt helpless before. And I think that may have shaped Caleb's life a little bit. Hardship. I, I like to move away from hardship. How about you? I don't, I don't care for it. But it may have shaped his first 40 years. In chapter 5 in Exodus, if you flip over just a little bit, verse 10 of chapter 5, it says, uh, in earlier in the chapter, Moses says, let my people go and worship for, for three days. Verse 10, it says, the to so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out, said to the people, this is what Pharaoh said, I'm not going to give you any straw. So go get your own straw, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land. Verse 13, the taskmasters were, ur were urgent, saying, complete your work each day. So it became even worse. Verse 11, God promises deliverance. He says, excuse me, verse, chapter 6, verse 8. I will bring you out of the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, Moses. He spoke to the people, but they did not listen to Moses because they were broken in spirit for harsh slavery. So the, the first years were rough for Caleb. Now, indulge me one more time, flip over to Numbers which is another recording of, of Caleb. I know this is a lot of reading, and you're very patient, so. But I, I got, the scripture has a lot to say, and I kind of got to bring it together, uh, particularly in Caleb's life. In Numbers um, chapter 13, I'm not sure if I said that or not. From the time of Joseph, they'd spent 400 years in Egypt. That's a long time. But yet they held together as uh, people groups, as tribes. And they've they've crossed, the, crossed the Jordan now, and we've studied a little bit about, uh, about that. But in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men out to spy the land in Cana, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them out from the wilderness. In verse 6 it says, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb was sent out. And we found out that the tribes, the people were all covenant people. And I got to looking, 
said that Caleb was a Kensonite by birth. Genesis. He was not even part of the Israeli people. Perhaps by birth and marriage and so on that he was, but he represented Judah, the tribe. And they sent these spies out. And you've probably heard the story, if you've ever gone to church or Bible school, to spy out the land. And if we skip over uh, to the end of, uh, or the beginning of 23, and they, they came to the valley of Eshel and cut down a branch, a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs and, from this place. They went to explore this land, and I can imagine two guys with a pole carrying a cluster of grapes. Now, they've been eating manna in the wilderness. That had to look pretty inviting. Uh, they've been wandering in the desert just for, for a short while. And we pick it up in 29. The, the spies come back and report. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. It happens to be Hebron. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb, our hero, quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we'll be able to overcome it. Wow. It's more than positive thinking. <laughs> what happened to the other ten spies? Well, one of the spies was Joshua. We know about him and Caleb. The other ten spies? Another trivia question? God wasn't pleased with them. So he killed them with a plague. Well, that doesn't seem fair. But it does seem just. God was interested in his people and was, was pleased with Caleb and Joshua's report. That's the kind of hero I like. <laughs> Somebody who sees beyond the, um, the obstacles that we have in, in life. And if you turn over a page, the plot thickens. In chapter 14, verse 3, we see the people begin to rebel against Moses, or against Joshua. Verse 3, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land, the people are saying, to fall by the swords? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Rather than cross over to the promised land, they said, Let's go back to slavery. At least we ate back there. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation, the people of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and said, 
to all the congregation of the people of Israel. The land which we have passed through to spay out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, we will, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. The people of Israel all wanted to go back. Caleb, Joshua, Aaron, Moses said, no. In the next part of the chapter, um, Moses intercedes for the people and said, Lord, please, you've promised us this. What am I going to do? Um, if we go back to Egypt, uh, your name will not be glorified. Which way am I to go? In verse 20 it says, the Lord says, I have according to, according to your word. But just as truly as I live on this earth shall be filled with the glory of God. None of these men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times have not obeyed my voice. They shall not see the land I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he went, and the descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley, turn tomorrow and set for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Let me summarize what happens. They're about ready to cross. You get a bad report. The people will rebel. God says, I'm going to punish you. You spent 40 days spying out, and for 40 days, turn around and head to the Red Sea. And I'll tell you where to go from there. So they spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert. Caleb said, let's go, but he... So part of his training was 40 more years in the desert, <laughs> which is probably good because he saw the glory of God. He saw the Ten Commandments. He saw the pillar of light. He saw God pr provide manna for the people. He saw miracles. He saw Moses strike the rock and water comes out. Saw the water that was bitter turn to fresh water. So God shaped him another 40 years. Wow, that's a long time to be shaped before you get to, to the promised land. And in 28, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do uh, to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and all the numbers that are listed in the census, from 20 years and old and upward, who have grumbled against me, will die. If you are 20 years or older, you're not going to make it. You're going to die in a desert. So it's the teens who grow up in the wilderness who claim the promised land. It doesn't seem fair, but it does seem just. God dealt with his people. He didn't want to rebel his people. He wanted to shape his people. He wanted to, have a, to be glorified. The people were going to actually, they were, in the verses previous, were actually going to stone Moses. And 
and select a new leader. Wow. This became the nation of Israel, or the people of Israel. So the second 40 years was much different than the first. But yet, every season of our, our lives shapes us. My dad, who passed away a couple years ago, says, whatever you learn, treasure, because you'll use it sometime in the future. Whether it's a trial, a blessing, a school, um, it will be uh, useful to, to each of us. All of it's training. All of it's training for our future. For our future of serving Christ eternally. Our future for worshiping Him and understanding who He is eternally. Just as Caleb was mentored and shaped, so shall we. It's hard to say, thank you, Lord, for the trials of slavery. Thank you, for Lord, for allowing me to wander in the desert in the wilderness. But we don't know what he's got in store for us. Back when Linda and I were working with the youth back in the 70s. <laughs> I can't remember. I think Linda had a t-shirt, but I know t-shirts were really popular. It says, across it said, P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Anybody know what that means? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. <laughs> and it was, it, it's true. It's true in our lives. Um, we never know what kind of impact we may have on another individual. We don't know how God is preparing us for the future. <laughs> well, as you celebrate Father's Day, as it was mentioned in, um, I think, Terry Alvers when we prayed with uh, before we came out here, if you can, give your father um, some accolades today. Now, I know in a group this size that some of your fathers are deceased. I know that some of your fathers were not good people. Maybe they left you. Maybe they forsook you. Maybe they beat you. Maybe they abused you. I don't know. But look for another person to be your father for the day or father for the year. If you're a son or a daughter, do the best you can to celebrate with your father. What do fathers want? In our men's series, uh, what was it, what's it called, Mike? 33 series? Um, guys, as a matter of fact, are meeting this Monday again to start uh, to finish up the second series. And you're welcome to come out. And pastor teaches on Tuesday as well. In one of the sessions, it says, what do sons most want to hear from their fathers? And what do fathers most want to hear from their sons? If I want to put it another way. We and they want to hear 
I love you. In our group, we found out that some men never heard that from our fathers. We hear it from our Heavenly Father. But some of us are lacking, and so I grieve with you. We want to hear, I'm proud of you. Maybe they haven't arrived yet. Maybe they're trouble, but I'm proud of you. And thirdly, you're going to amount to something good. The three things that all fathers want to hear. Every dad wants to be a hero. I asked the guys, some of the guys in the church, what would you most like to have for Father's Day? And it probably surprise you. Nobody said a new Makita drill. Those are nice. Our tie, our golf club, our car, card, excuse me, car would be nice. But they said, I'd like to, one said, I'd like to know that my children are serving somewhere. Another said, I'd just like to get a good report from wherever they are. Another said, you know, I'd just like to stay home. Another said, I'd just like to spend time with my kids. I don't know what you got planned this evening, this afternoon. You're going out, staying home, buying gifts, sending cards. But your dad wants to be your hero. And it doesn't always take a lot going to finish with a, a little a little quip if I can find it This is embarrassing. I think I know it. You remember the presidents, John Adams, and then John Quincy Adams, his son was also a president. Well, Charles Adams was also very involved. He was on, on the um, cabinet with Lincoln. He was an ambassador overseas. He served on the Senate. And he had uh, seven children four boys, and one of the boys um, wrote in his journal, his name was Charles, who said, uh, the most glorious day I ever had in my life. And for the next 39 years, people heard about that glorious day in his life. And because the Adams family journaled, after a while, somebody went back and said, what was it that was so effective in this in Charles's life that he would say something like that. And so they looked at his journal for that particular day and said, went fishing, a wasted day. It wasn't, I don't know what wasted day meant. It meant maybe they didn't catch any fish. Maybe he thought he wasn't effective. But he went fishing with his son, and his son, son talked about it for 39 years as being the most glorious day that he ever had. So dad's... I don't think we have a clue of how we affect our kids. Whether we're driving a tractor, whether we're having devotions, whether we're eating, how we're acting, but happy Father's Day. We'll do our best.
God's not finished with us yet. We just need to be patient. Just a time of reflection. It's our custom to close in prayer and I'll ask the band to come on up and we'll have a closing moment. Father, I thank you for being our Heavenly Father. And we realize we haven't arrived, but we're so encouraged by your work in us and through us. Help us to be the men that you want us to be. As we pray for our wives and family, for the, and we thank you for their support. We thank you for our church, for the very blessing of um, coming together, worshiping, knowing one another, growing together. Help us to understand each aspect of our lives and surrender to you, whatever that might be. Amen.